Brought to you by Insight Counseling Centers. This is the Integration Podcast. A podcast to discuss difficult but relevant topics. Where issues of spirituality, psychology, the arts, and society all intersect. Hi, I'm Hannah Feliciano, a newbie therapist with a passion to work with underserved and minority populations. Over the years, I've loved serving others through taking mission trips to Mexico and Africa, working within the Hispanic community as a community organizer, and teaching ESL classes. I have a heart for the arts, and at one point in my life studied to be a worship pastor. I've gone through my own personal journey through depression, anxiety, and chronic pain, which led me to where I am now, obtaining my degree as a marriage and family therapist to serve others in their own journey towards healing. And I'm Eric Schaefer, and I've spent half my life outside the church and the other half working in a church setting as an ordained pastor in youth and family ministry and as a senior pastor. I love experiencing other cultures, and I've led over 100 short-term mission trips around the world to places like Scotland and Hungary and Belize and Molokai. I've also worked for Young Life in an inpatient adolescent psychiatric hospital. I have a film degree and a master's in divinity. I love learning and experiencing God through relationships, the arts, and other cultures. Welcome, everyone, to the Integration Podcast. We are so excited to be back again today talking about immigration issues and um, what that looks like, especially when um, different populations come into therapy. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. Uh, Her name is Dr. Adrienne McKean, and uh, we are so delighted to have you here with us and to hear from your perspective and your wisdom with us. So if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, your background, and uh, what kind of uh, brought you here to Nashville also would be interesting. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, Well, how did I get into psychology? I'm from Puerto Rico. Um, I identify as Puerto Rican. I was born and raised there. Um, my father is from Louisiana, and my mother is from Brazil. Uh, he met her at the Peace Corps, and so they decided to move to Puerto Rico, and I'm Puerto Rican. So um, that kind of unique upbringing sparked an interest in me in just wondering how culture shapes us, um, shapes who we are, and that's why I decided to... Um, get a degree in psychology, but a specialization in cross-cultural psychology. Wonderful. Yeah. That's awesome. I did not know all of that information. (laughs) That is so cool. Um, So Adrian and I actually, we we have worked together with um, the Hispanic community and population, um, seeing a little bit different clientele, but um, so have kind of a crossover of sorts. But um, I'm curious kind of what brought you to the place where you knew you wanted to work within um, working with immigrants, working with um, that population, and um, what's been your journey getting to to this place? I mean, really, it's about meeting a need. It's more like the community found me, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm happy to serve the community. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of differences within different cultures, and even within the groups in the culture. So I really like um, seeing the uniqueness 
in those groups. Um, I worked in schools in Houston, and so I worked with all kinds of students, but um, I was really drawn to the Hispanic families mm -hmm. in Houston. Um, so I really got to know um, how immigration affected the children, and it also affected the families. Sure. And I learned how important it was to help the families navigate the new school system, because some of the children had never even been to school before, so they didn't know how to sit in a classroom a whole day. This was all new to them. Um, so I found how powerful it can be to just sit down with the parents and um, give them a good orientation about what school is mm -hmm. and how to help their children. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I know a, a lot, even with the clients that I see, it's really interesting where they are at on their acculturation process. Yeah. Um, something that is kind of interesting to think about, you know, there's the low acculturation and then that's where they haven't really um, adapted to the dominant culture. And then there's the high acculturation, right, where you've adapted, maybe only mostly speak English um, and they've kind of maybe even pushed aside some of their cultural roots and that's kind of where my family kind of lands which has been interesting and but we know that what the research says is that it, we have um, best outcomes best mental health for people who are bicultural so someone like you <laughs> um, Adrian where you still hold on to your roots and you speak the language but you also ha can adapt and kind of weave in both both cultures mm -hmm. um, and and that's a really challenging thing to do for for uh, first generation immigrants and people who are just coming to the country and I've seen that a lot too where it's so difficult because um, they just feel lost and yes. just really unsure of how to navigate so many different uh, systems that they're not used to yes. and protocols mm -hmm. and then the language barrier it becomes really really challenging yeah, yeah I agree mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Um, Adrian, welcome. Um, I, I love hearing your story. My wife um, maybe has some similarities to your story. Her mom is from Panama and her dad is from Florida. So again, kind of this dual upbringing and trying to um, figure out who she is and, and, and relating to both cultures. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I, I have a bunch of questions. This is really um, uh, exciting that uh, you are with us here today. How much of, of especially for first generation um, Latinos, how much of it is education to where it and again, it just seems like for me, there would be a, a fear factor going in to even, first of all, they don't may not even know what counseling is or, as Hannah was saying, new culture, new environment. So how much would you say um, education plays a role in it even before you, you come in and actually do therapy? Um, I actually find it refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of my clients, when they come in, they don't know what a counselor is. Mm. They've never heard of counseling. They have no preconceived notions of what's supposed to happen when they walk in. And that's actually refreshing because um, you get to set the expectations together. It doesn't have to follow any type of script, a preconceived script, which you might get with um a client, you know, who's been here a while and has seen the movies and all of that. So they just kind of show up fresh. And um, 
that's actually really nice. I like that because you can work together and collaborate and make it whatever you want to make it. But um, they're often surprised at how helpful it can be. Um, they don't have any expectations. So when they start really talking and sharing themselves with you, um, it's really nice to see, you know, how surprised they are at how helpful it can be and how much lighter they feel when they walk out the door. Has that been your experience, Hannah? Yeah, actually, before we started recording, I was actually talking to Eric a little bit about that. Um, so, and you understand this too, Adrian, with this population, sometimes we'll have calls where people will come in and they'll need a letter for a lawyer. <laughs> and um, kind of the way our policy has been is to ask them to, well, actually require them to come in for at least six sessions so that we can um, kind of do a proper, uh, you know, uh, evaluation. And, um, but I find it interesting because if sometimes those clients will come in and they'll just be like, oh, well, I just need this letter. And then you'll go through the process with them and it'll be so rewarding and enriching for them that they'll leave and they'll be like, wow, this was actually really helpful. And I didn't know what to expect when I first came in. I just knew my lawyer told me, you need to go get this letter and go to counseling. And it, it, that is really rewarding because um, you're meeting them where they're at. And a lot of times these people have never shared their story yes. at all. They've never talked about their immigration trauma, about their abuse. And it's such a privilege to sit with these people as they share and and you value their story you you value who they are as a person and just that being with them in that they sense that and they feel that mm -hmm. and it's it changes me as well sitting with absolutely. them absolutely yeah mm -hmm. so to kind of clarify a little bit what Hannah and I do uh, we see a lot of asylum seekers so these are people who have um, suffered severe psychological trauma um, in their country of origin. So when uh, they come, they show up and they say, my lawyer sent us is because they sit down and they tell their lawyer, um, they tell their lawyer what um, they've gone through. And the lawyer says, wow, you've gone through some really tough stuff. You, you need to go talk to somebody. So um, they come to Hannah or I. And then sometimes we also have people who have suffered trauma once they arrive to the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be victims of domestic violence. They might be uh, victims of abuse or crimes, a violent crime. Mm -hmm. And um, again, they show up, um, usually referred by lawyers, the lawyers mm -hmm. recognizing that yeah. they need some psychological help. And then, correct me if mm -hmm. I'm wrong, but then in those instances where they're a victim of crime in the U.S., is that where they can seek uh, their U visa? Is that that's right? that? That's what I've been mm -hmm. told. Yeah. That uh, for some people, there's a specific visa um, that allows them to stay in the country mm -hmm. for I don't know how much longer, um, so that they can help, pro so they can process the trauma related to that crime. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a lot of post-traumatic stress. Is that? Yes. Is, was yes. that? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. A lot of that. Pretty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty severe and complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the other um, kind of 
presenting problems or mm -hmm. issues that you've seen that are pretty prevalent among this population too? Yeah, I would say uh, survivors of abuse. Um, I would say I've seen quite a few adolescents that have been displaced by Hurricane Maria from Puerto Rico. Um, I see uh, women with a postpartum depression and anxiety sometimes um, emerging psychosis from the postpartum depression. Um, I do see some anxiety as well. How about you, Hannah? Yeah, I think um, that's that's some of what I see. I've also seen um, sometimes I'll I'll work with children or families, mm -hmm. so I'll see um, some sort of a history of domestic abuse or um, sexual abuse that has happened, and I'm processing that with kids. Also, um, young people who've had parents incarcerated, um, so that's affected the, them, um, which can lead to depressive symptoms, um, as well as some clients who've experienced loss through gang violence, yes. um, which is also really hard. And, um, you know, with young clients, this is very very real. Um, I've had clients, you know, who they themselves have been parts of gangs. So it, the spectrum kind of ranges. <laughs> um, but then also definitely people who have uh, suffered domestic violence and abuse and a lot of immigration trauma. Mm -hmm. um, just the stories you hear are hard and they are heavy. Um, so... That definitely is a part of it. <laughs> well, yeah. it, with that, I want to ask actually both of you, it, it, maybe there's a story, you don't have to go into too great a detail, that really has impacted you um, with one of the clients that you've seen. Adrian, you can start if you can think of one that jumps so, out at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Eric, I know you and I had... Um, kind of content we had communicated a little bit beforehand and you know you asked me about some things that um you might want to think about yeah. right when we're talking about this population and i've become really interested in generational trauma because um i have clients who have suffered some pretty horrific um abuse and um just violence in their country of origin um some of it in the hands of their own family members and some of it from, you know, like gang members and all that. And uh, sometimes I sit back and I think, my gosh, how could your own parent do this to you? How, how is this? You know, your heart hurts for them because I, as a mother, I just all I want to do is protect my child. Um, but, you know, usually as you talk to them, you start finding out the story of their parent and you find out how horrific their parents' life is. I thinking of one client who there was um, mass murder in her family. She was one of the only survivors. And um, her relationship with her mother, who was also a survivor, was very um, difficult. Mm. And I just, you know, I really felt for her. Well, finally, she told me her mother's story, and her mother was basically a child bride. She was sold off. Uh, to her father from a very young age. And so her mother's life was unimaginably um, difficult. And so you, you get a sense of how the trauma and the pain um, of one generation 
affects the next one and so on. And I see how my adult clients, their trauma affects the way they're parenting their children and they're doing the best that they can. But you start seeing how it affects their children as they yeah. grow up. So, Adrian, as a therapist, give, give me some insight or just some clues about, I mean, that just sounds almost insurmountable to overcome. But how how would you go about um, pushing a person forward um, to overcome what might be generations of, of, you know, sins of your parents coming from a, a, a pastoral background or, or when you, you know, you think of almost generational curses is the first thing that, that pops into my mind when you, when you're talking about, but how would you, how would you help them overcome that? It's a long process. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are, basic things. These aren't magical things, yep. but one of them is making them realize that they're safe now. Uh, they're not where they used to be, so they don't have to engage in the same behaviors that they had to to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is in the way that I treat them, you know, Hannah talked about treating them with respect and honor and care, um, making them realize that they're worthy of that. And once they're treated by one person in that way, hopefully it makes them want to treat themselves that way and realize that they deserve to treat themselves that way. Um, I've had clients that are, they, they adore their children. They would do anything for their children. And I tell them, well, why can't you treat yourself like as if you were your own child? You know, uh, they're, they're so cruel to themselves. They're so mean to themselves. And I think, I tell them, would you treat your child like this? Um, you know, mentally cradle yourself. Um, so that's, that's just kind of some of the things that I try to instill in them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I find myself using a lot of, um, mindfulness and actually doing it in session with the clients, having them pick out a person or an image of security and safety, um, that comes to mind and, and then doing like visualizations with that image or that person. What does it feel like if they're with you? What do they smell like? What are they telling you? Um, do they, are they holding you? Are they giving you a hug? Um, what is it that you need that they're able to give you? And that can be really powerful. Sometimes they'll wind up, you know, opening their eyes and, and say, it was my grandma. My grandmother was here with me and she's been passed away, but she was here. And I felt her presence of like comfort and then reminding them that they have that within themselves and they can carry that in other places um, when it gets hard and when some of those flashbacks come back um, or memories or anxieties. Um, And that's really powerful uh, just to be able to be with them and allow them to realize that they already have that inside of them. So really knowing that they're so strong and resilient, um, but also that giving them a safe place where they can be weak and they can let their tears um, fall. I had a a client tell me, I, you know, I try to be so strong for my, for my daughters. They never see me cry, but in here I can cry. I can cry in here. Um, and that, I mean, it's incredible to know that we've created this place for them and built that rapport and that relationship where they can let those tears fall because there's so much pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
You know, one of the things is, as both of you are talking, um, I, you know, when I think, and, and this is a stereotype, but but a, a positive one, when I think of the Hispanic culture, I think of um, the importance of family and, and um, intergenerational and, and supporting each other in a, in a very positive way. And yet there's the flip side of that, too, which is some of the things that you both are talking about now. Um, since I am not a therapist, I just wondered, would you, would you both have, either of you can answer this, have different approaches possibly? Like, let's say, would you use rely on family systems um, approach more with um, something like you're talking about the intergenerational issues? Does that make sense? Do you change the type of theories and ways that you counsel someone depending on maybe their cultural background or just their issues. Does that make sense? It's interesting because <laughs> I find sometimes that while um, you want to honor their um, the cultural piece that family is really important and sometimes there is a lot of like, you know, people knowing everybody's business, so to speak. Um, but sometimes I've actually worked with clients to help understand boundaries, but in the context of where they're, what they're living and their reality. So sometimes it's, it's, it's actually, yeah, like learning, uh, or helping them learn what is appropriate and, and, and talking about that, you know, what feels okay for you and what, you know, when they're trying to find that information out or asking you, like I've had clients who people who are like second cousins and all asking for, well, I need this money right now. Like you need to give this, give the, give me this money. And this person doesn't have that money. And before they used to just give that to them because that's what they thought they were supposed to do. So having difficult conversations around that, you know, like what is that doing for you when you give them that? And, um, is that really serving you the best? And, and so sometimes it looks like them, figuring out that they have a voice and that they can put healthier boundaries in place because there's been so much togetherness that sometimes it can become toxic. Sometimes it's really supportive, but there is also the flip side of that. So, um, sometimes that's been my experience. So, mm -hmm. yes, I would, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it, regardless of the person's culture, I, I really try to, um, let their values guide me. Mm -hmm. So if family is a high value for them, then I'm going to utilize the value of family mm -hmm. um, in therapy. So you're right. With mm -hmm. Hispanic cultures, you tend to have family as a higher value. But if they value other things like autonomy or independence, well, that's something that we're going to use. Mm -hmm. Um, to progress in therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's the, the clash of, well, these were the values that made sense back in my country of origin. Mm -hmm. And now here, 
it seems a little hard to live those values out or what does it look like here now in a new culture and so that becomes very real um, even with just like traditional versus like equal or egalitarian gender roles in a marriage <laughs> that becomes a yes. lot very common we're like well back home it was this way where the husband was making all the decisions but then here they come here and they see people doing it a different way and and then a lot of times they're like well what would it look like what does this mean if if we changed a little bit and it's hard sometimes a lot of times um especially if they had one paradigm before and now they're trying to adjust or change so yeah Um, Adrian, if you could share maybe one or two things um, with people, maybe this is the first time they're even thinking about um, the immigrants' experience and and the the challenges that you're facing. You've shared a lot of them, but what what would it be? What would you tell someone who maybe is thinking about this for the first time? The exp- the unique experiences that immigrants face. Mm. I I would say that um, immigrants, depending on their immigration status, have very different experiences. Um, As a Puerto Rican and working with Puerto Rican clients, they're going to have a very different experience from clients who are undocumented or are struggling to have a more permanent, you know, status here in the U.S. Um, You know, there's going to be a lot of discrimination Um, there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, for them, anxiety, the anxiety is real. Um, a lot of what therapists do is, um, convincing people that what they're scared of isn't real, Mm. (laughs) you know, like changing that cognition and in, in their case, this, the anxiety is real, Mm. um, there, the families could be separated at any moment. The child could lose their mother. The mother could lose their children at any moment. Mm. So they're always standing at the edge of a cliff, wondering if they're going to fall. Um, so it's it's a it's a bit of a different situation there because there's no trying to convince them that what they're living isn't doesn't feel dangerous in that sense because it is. You know, they're kind of living on an edge. Um, and I definitely feel that with them. Um, so it's, I'd say the immigrant experience can be very di- different depending on um, how how firm their status is legally. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, just, yeah, as things have changed or shift or just the nature of, uh, you know, the political climate it it's affected clients who they definitely come in and they're like I don't know if I can keep coming because I don't feel safe driving anymore or I have to get someone else to drive me every time I'm coming in and there's just so many more barriers to to get the care that they need or also it's like um, I need to buy these things for my family or go to therapy. It's like, I'm going to buy these things for my family. Mm. So, um, 
and then the level of severity that this this population faces, really they're in need of that, that support. So it really sometimes also becomes just this juggling act and we're just there <laughs> to try to support them the best way we can. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I feel like for people who've maybe never talked to someone who's immigrated here, um, I think that could go a long way. Just sitting down with someone and hearing their story will, you know, I would think would create empathy and an understanding of the human side of what it really meant for them that they didn't have an option a feasible option they were maybe I like I have a client who was threatened to be killed um because they were um in the military and were hunting down um gang members and one of those members you know was threatening his life and then he came here leaving his family back in his country of origin and he was like if I would have stayed I could have been killed my family could have been killed so for him he really didn't have another option um and I think if people just kind of realize that we're all just humans <laughs> and these people are just trying to take care of themselves and their families the best that they know how um, but it's it's definitely a, a different reality and a different world that they live in sometimes here mm -hmm. what excites you about your future and, and where do you see yourself going um, with this kind of therapy and I think it's important to create a community of professionals. Mm. Um, Hannah and I have tried to be involved in that. Um, the community of mental health professionals in Nashville that speak Spanish is a pretty small. Mm. And so um, I think a lot of us are seeking that sense of community. And um, because of our clients have some unique needs, it's nice to get together and mm -hmm share resources and um, just kind of help each other out. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. The support is um, so needed because it, you know, there is that very real thing of like that secondhand trauma that sometimes counselors carry and working with um, this population that's, you know, been kind of a very real thing. Even it just it's it's heavy and so to have a place to go or to talk people to talk to and um realize that we're not alone in helping support um these clients and that's that's been really helpful um for me as well and um yeah we just we need each other as well <laughs> in this to to take care of ourselves well so that we can take care of these clients mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we know that sometimes it's there's a lot of trauma and um, sometimes really hard things. So curious what it looks like to actually have success or what would you call that? And um, what does hope look like when you're with a client? Well, a lot of them talk about feeling lighter um, when they leave the room. Um, Eric, you had mentioned psychoeducation. 
I think that's a really big piece because that's normalizing how they're feeling. Um, a lot of trauma is basically your body and your brain doing what it's designed to do, what mm -hmm. it's supposed to do to protect you. It's mm -hmm. like when you have a fever, right? Uh, your body does that to protect you, to fight off whatever mm -hmm. it needs to fight off. Well, that's what a lot of PTSD symptoms are like. It's like that mm -hmm. fever. Um, they're unpleasant, <laughs> but um, that normalizing of, you know, this happens, there's something that you can do about it is helpful. And also getting the family to understand that is a really big deal because the family will just say, oh, you, you and your achakis, you know, um, you know, Hannah will, knows that very well. Well, they'll say, um, uh, what is it? Uh, dale, dale ganas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And just, you just know, just try harder. Up. <laughs> try harder. <laughs> and they're saying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And so that education, either through the, the client or I'm all about, well, bring them in, bring your husband in, bring your wife in, bring your kids, yeah. you know, bring anybody in. I don't care, the church members, whoever's going to help you, bring them in. I want to talk to them. And just having that education piece of, no, 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 this is something that happens to, to us to our brains, to our bodies. This is normal. Um, and it's real. It's serious. Um, especially when there's some suicidal ideation or something like that going on. Um, that's huge. The Having everybody on the same page, getting that support from your family or from your community is a really big deal. And then being able to sleep, then being able to, to work, yeah. sleep is big, <laughs> then being able to work, um, enjoying their life, enjoying their family, their kids. Um, that's really big. And like Hannah said, sometimes putting boundaries uh, with family members who are hurtful, who have really hurt them, um, can be really helpful for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Creating a, more of a balance in their life because sometimes they're just no, I have to work and work and work and work and I can't take any time for myself. And so I do a lot of self-care planning <laughs> with my clients and teaching them that it's okay to rest. It's okay to take time for yourself. Um, and that's sometimes hard at first. Um, but then it's, it's really can be rewarding seeing the client realize that this isn't just something that, um, you know, we're talking about in the room, but when they actually go and apply these things, oh my goodness, this actually helps me feel better. Mm. <laughs> um, and might just be a couple of little minor changes, but what did they used to enjoy when they were younger? Um, did they ever have a desire that they wanted to pursue, but never thought they could? Um, what would it look like, you know? So dreaming with them a little bit, that can be also really powerful. Mm. Mm -hmm. This question may be a little bit off the wall, but I, I mean, I think we talked about families. I think the other, um, I guess you call it stereotype that I think about is the importance of faith and where the, 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 the place, the role that God plays in, in, um, families and, and lives and cultures. Um, what have, what have you learned from your, your clients maybe about faith? What have they taught you? Um, because, um, I would imagine you, you read articles. I was reading an article this week about, a. 
um, folks coming from Honduras, and and it, I guess it used to be where it was mainly men who would who would try to immigrate to the U.S., but now it's women and children and and all variations and the horrific conditions. So again, wh where does what role does faith play in all of this? And maybe what has what have clients taught you in in the midst of this about overcoming and and hope as well? Yeah, I mean, it does really vary from client to client, but there there is a sense of of faith and a sense, you know, most of my clients have have some sort of a recognition of a faith in God. Um, and that that is important usually. Um, I had a client one time where we did like a a meditation mindfulness um, thing and as soon as we were done, she just grabbed my hands and she said, oh, thank you so much. And she started praying. <laughs> she started just thanking God. And um, it was so meaningful just to know that she felt um, what she would call the presence of God there with her. And that was touching because that was just you knew that it impacted her and it affected her in a positive way. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it looks like using the, the image of who God is, like I was talking about earlier, to help them feel safe. Um, and that can be really powerful. Um, it also can look like encouraging them if they have a faith in God and they haven't been in a community of uh, other like-minded people to go and actually look for a community of faith. And that can be a place where they make positive connections and, um, that can be really powerful too. So, uh, just exploring, like Adrian was saying, exploring where they're coming from, um, which is always important and then supporting them in how that can help in their healing. Yeah, I, I agree with Hannah with everything that she said, especially um, encouraging them to join a community. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that help quite a few clients as well. Um, there, there's some positive and sometimes not so positive aspects, not necessarily faith, but sometimes um, some more rigid ideas of brought about by specific ways that certain religions religions are practiced so there's the idea of marianismo and marianismo is that the woman is here to suffer like this is what she does because you know the virgin mary did that and so sometimes we have to talk about that a little bit you know the idea that well i'm here to suffer this is what god wants for me and you know i think is it? You know, yeah, I try to yeah. push mm -hmm. that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, it's spe specifically with the women, because in, in certain groups of people, that's kind of the message that they receive. Um, but I've learned to um, be more open minded with regards to um, different types of faith. So I've had quite a few clients who have been helped by shamans, um, by I've, I've gotten really interested in rituals because uh, they come in and talk about all these really interesting mm -hmm. rituals and you can't really just um, disregard them because mm -hmm. they're helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, the other day, uh, they, one of them was telling me about 
a ritual that's supposed to help with her anxiety and you take an egg and um, you soak it in rose water and then roll the boiled egg all over you hmm. and it's supposed to absorb you know she didn't say it but it's 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 supposed to absorb all of this anxiety this you know bad energy and then you're supposed to crack it outside and I think that that's a really nice metaphor mm-hmm. um, for let the healing begin. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm, I'm really open to that. Mm-hmm. I want the, to invite them to, um, you know, engage in any ritual that's going to help them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've noticed is it depends on who initiates the ritual or who gets the help from the shaman. So if it's um, somebody who you don't have a good relationship with, or maybe somebody who's getting you the help for maybe the reasons that aren't the best, it's actually hurtful to them. But if it's a loving family member Mm -hmm. who initiates the help from this curandero, it's actually really helpful. So I think it's interesting, the relationship to the initiator is what's helpful because you're perceiving that support and that love from the person. Hmm. I don't know if you've had that, Hannah. Yeah, I've had some experience with it. Um, and it can be, yeah, I mean, um, it really just depends on the situation and like if it's a helpful thing or or hurtful, mm-hmm. which I would think kind of applies to any spiritual mm-hmm. practice or religious practice, is it bringing um, healing yes. and or is it hurting? And so, and we've explored that. Like some, I had a client who went to a curandero, and he basically said, like, you remember that your your family, or I think he said something about you're you're so you're going to suffer um and your health will not be okay or something like that and she's had to kind of actually separate herself from that because she was like I don't want to believe that anymore mm-hmm. so it was it, like it she had to actually struggle with well I know that he said that but I don't know if I'm going to take that for all of it all it's worth maybe at one point I I was having problems with my health, but now I'm not going to believe that any longer. But it's interesting. It really just depends, right? So, um, but then some people have experiences where they have very spiritual, like, um, they can say, like, they might sense spirits or things like that. And you have to really just take it for what it is and not always just say it's going to be, it's not necessarily them having like auditory hallucinations or they could just really be sensing something that's important to them in their spiritual practice. So it's really, it's quite interesting. It's might sound a little bit different than like your mainstream kind of clients, but um, just really respecting where they're coming from and, and exploring, is this something that's beneficial and helpful to you or is it taking away and, and a belief that then created pain or hurt or so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Um, This topic is so rich and um, it just, uh, it's obvious when you talk about it, that it's meaningful for you. And um, I think that that's 
so important in the work that we do, but truly thank you for not only being here with us, but for the meaningful um, impact you have on the, the people you work with. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Yes, this was great. Thank you, Adrian. Integration Podcast is sponsored by Insight Counseling Centers, restoring lives to wholeness, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, through quality and compassionate counseling services for individuals, families, and couples across Middle Tennessee.